Welcome back to the Voting While Black podcast. I'm Rashad Robinson from Voting While Black, the nation's largest black-led, volunteer-driven voter mobilization program, a project of Color of Change PAC. We're talking with the candidates running for president in 2020, getting real about what they think about race and exactly how they will help the movement for racial justice. Our guest today is Senator Cory Booker. I interviewed Senator Booker before he announced his decision to suspend his campaign for president. When we talked, he shared his thoughts on criminal justice reform, tech accountability, the electoral rules of the primary season, and how the next president needs to represent marginalized communities and ensure their political power. Welcome, Senator Booker. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, I am so glad you are here to talk to us about racial justice, not just what you think we need to achieve, but how we are going to get there and the role you see yourself playing in making that change. When it comes to any social change, I talk a lot about knowing the difference between presence and power. Yes. And what I mean is issues that black people care about can be talked about everywhere, online, on the front pages and even on the debate stage. But that doesn't mean anything is going to change. Presence is not enough. We have to actually gain the power to force change. If we settle for presence, attention, instead of real power, we don't get change. And the system we have goes on. Almost every candidate, including yourself, has a platform on race. The policies they say they will implement. But today, rather than talking about policy, I want to talk about power and how you are going to be part of building the power we need to actually make those policy promises real, to make racial justice real, to move this country to a place in which anti-black racism does not affect every aspect of our life, and ultimately to make black people more powerful. Things like credit and housing. I'm interested, and in, as you look um, at the tech industry, um, what are the sort of reforms, what are the policy proposals that you're thinking about? And how do we get to a place where we build the type of momentum from the public to, under, to make these policy reforms real, given how much power um, these platforms have been able to establish in Washington and elsewhere? So I want to answer that specifically, but can I just pull the lens back? Because in, yes. your, in your powerful introduction, you basically said something that I know is important on tech, on any issue. And the, the, the thing I want, point I want to make about presence is not enough, because this first time I heard that, it was powerful for me. Look, when I got to the United States Senate, my parents told me it's not enough to be the first black. I'm the fourth elected black official. Just make sure you're not the last. Get more people at the table. Diverse teams are better teams for, for America. We went to the moon because of hidden figures yes. sitting at the table. I was stunned, and I know you're in Washington a lot, that, how, that the, the Capitol was the least diverse place I'd ever seen. And the, one, the first week I was there, I worked late one night, the mostly white um, uh, capital emptied out and waiting online to come into work in the buildings at night to do a lot of the work that makes the capital run were people of color. And when I see Judiciary Committee, I couldn't find a black staffer when I poked in my, my head in. And so one of the things that I've always said in my life is, I'm not enough. Yeah. And, and so I'm very proud that me and Brian Schatz went to Senator Schumer and said, here are all these Democratic senators that get elected overwhelmingly with black and brown communities 
And I said, Chuck, and he was very, he, God bless him, because he was like, I'm in, what can we do? I said, well, the first thing you do is create accountability for these senators and transparency. Have them, every senator now has to publish their diversity statistics. And it's embarrassing. But guess is what happened now? Black and brown, women as well, the, the rates of them being hired is enough. So when you say something about tech, I'm very proud of the fact that I made sure that in those committees, making policy, you know how Washington works, it's not all the senators, it's their teams. We now have diverse teams that are calling questions that weren't called before. When I got to the Senate, I wanted to know the, the pension funds, who's managing them? From Texas, red state, to New York, blue state, emerging managers, they have programs where they have five to 10% of their uh, funds being managed by black and brown. Pension managers, women run pension managers. I come down here, it's 2013, and zero, not one dollar of the biggest pension funds on the planet Earth. Ask that question. Call simple questions like sickle cell. Why is the funding for sickle cell anemia, which affects so many more people than this other condition, it gets what way more funding? And so being at the table, diversity isn't just say, oh, it's nice to have diversity. Diversity is about making sure that when issues come up from tech to agriculture, there are people in that room bringing through their lived experiences different views to the table so policy's made. I wanna make sure that the capital better reflects the people that vote on you going to the capital. And so when it comes to tech, I love the fact that I had in my staff, diverse people around the table, that when I had the chance to question Mark Zuckerberg, that, that they, we made sure that we asked about the algorithms Facebook uses that say that I live in Newark, New Jersey, inner city, black and brown community. I may not get those advertisements about loan opportunities or, or that you're getting or housing opportunities. So tech is this platform that, that is can powerfully shape our culture. And they're doing it based on a corporate model that often folds into it discrimination. And, and if we are not holding them accountable or regulating these platforms, the, the discrimination that is already evident in our society can become, a, 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 can be advanced or supercharged the way technology does that. And every day it feels like a new story comes out about the challenges with these platforms, the way in which um, systems have, um, are being designed to hurt us. So what do we do? Like what's the, what's the thing that we have to build to actually get the momentum? Because right, you've done um, a great job, um, in my opinion, of, of questioning and using your platform and the judiciary and others to question folks and even standing up for things like net neutrality. Um, but um, how do we get the public? How do we build the movement? How do we build the momentum to actually get there? Because part of the presidency is being able to use and leverage and build the power of people to actually get over the barriers that far too often stand in the way of change. Right. Well, remember, the laws we're using to govern the internet were written before there was an internet. And, and, and therefore, we have an obligation to shape the rules right now of how these platforms can be. Why is it okay for cable companies? This passed, I was outvoted, Democrats were outvoted. Why is it okay for a cable company who you're paying already to now, we just passed a rule to say it's okay for them to take your viewing data and sell that and profit off of that, your private viewing data. They'd be able to track what you're watching and be able, why have we not have a larger conversation about why that's wrong, especially if you're not sharing in the profits that are being created. And so this is a time not for us to just give in to the corporations that are, that are pulling us in ways to make more and more profit off of us. We need to start calling questions about what does the future look like? Now, let me tell you, Europe is having this conversation. They're far ahead of us in sorry, the challenge on privacy 
and, and revenue sharing. But we in America sort of just are going along with what the corporations are def defining us. You know, I heard Facebook is doing this right now with our politics. Mm -hmm. When you go back to the beginning of TV, there were rules that said you had to be, you had to be balanced, you had to give fair time, you had to have some commitment uh, to truth. But now we're allowing internet companies to say, if you pay me enough money, we'll spread your lies as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And, and that is outrageous. And so this is not gonna change. This is, this is the secret that America has to know. We didn't get civil rights legislation because Strom Thurmond, longest filibuster in Senate history, racist rant stopping civil rights legislation. We didn't get it because one day he came to the Senate floor and said, I've seen the right light, let those Negro people have some rights. No, we got that change because we demanded it. Change doesn't come from Washington, it comes to Washington. And so we can't just be people using these platforms in our lives, being complicit with the rules and regulations that they're telling us that we have to do in order to use your platforms. No, this is a space that must have regulation for our privacy, for our security, for our national security. These platforms must be, must be regulated. I'm fighting for that in the Senate with other folks, but we need more people to begin to demand this because this is shaping our lives, our cultures, our family, our children, and our future in ways that folks have got to begin to better understand. And picking up off of that, um, as you look at your career, right, and your um, time in office, uh, and you think about the work that you've done um, with movements, with community groups, to build that momentum, to make demand possible, you on the inside, working with folks on the outside, what are the sort of racial justice victories that you feel sort of most proud of and sort of your ability to work with movements to overcome the barriers that far too often stand in the way? Well, I, clearly I want to talk about my city, but I want to just say in the Senate, look, when I was younger, I looked at the Senate as senators, I don't make, you know, it's, it's a, I thought it was just sort of like a, you know, commodity. You're, everybody's going to vote the way they're, no, now that I'm here, to be in a room when it's happening and to bring something up, like there was a big bill that just went through uh, uh, for military spending, a lot of things, and it's a must-pass bill. I was able to fight to get on that bill, a radical change, nobody's really talking about it, but the biggest employer in our country is the federal government and federal contractors. And I basically was able to get a bill onto that, get it passed, signed by this president, that said that you no longer, if you have a criminal conviction, have to check a box on that first application. And that alone is gonna increase the chances of people disproportionately black and brown people getting jobs with federal contractors and the federal government. And so I realize now that, that being in the room to question, well, we were passing this big criminal justice reform bill. I helped write that bill. Somebody had written a portion that I just said, hey, wait a minute, the way you evaluate danger, like, like in other words, to qualify for earned credits to get out of prison, they were creating algorithms. I called, I said, wait a minute, those algorithms themselves are biased. Just by having the zip code where I live, it was gonna put me in a more perception of more being dangerous. So for, for this is why it is so important, whoever the next president is, and I hope it's me, that you don't have to explain stuff to them. Their lived experience gives them insights that every single day they can be calling the right questions to make sure policies shaped, because we've seen the Democratic Party, people with good intentions. You name the crime bill from the 80s to the 90s uh, to even things that were being done in the, in the early aughts. That, that, were, that, that had disparate impacts on African-American communities and black and brown communities. So for me, being in the Senate every day, every day is fighting 
to make sure that the voices of people who are marginalized are at the table and it's actually shaping policy. And it may not be sexy to talk about algorithms being used uh, to, to assess who should come out of prison, but this makes a tangible lives. Just by fighting to make retroactive the crack cocaine, powder cocaine, it went from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1, still wrong. But when they took it to 18 to 1, they didn't make it retroactive. Yeah. Just by fighting to make that retroactive, it's released thousands of people from prison, 90% of whom, whom are black. So, so my every day for me is fighting to make sure that this country understands you cannot deny racial justice from some Americans and not hurt the justice of our nation as a whole. Now, as mayor, this, was, this is the theme of my presidency. It's not just about the policy. I respect everybody who's running. I, I admire them. I've learned from them. I work with many of them in the Senate. They're great people running for president. Let's just stipulate that alone. And anybody who questions the character of the other candidates, you're going to have a problem with me because that's going to weaken the, the eventual nominee and weaken our ability to beat Donald Trump. Talking about policy differences is important. But for me, it's not even the policy. Every one of us has a great policy plan on guns. I think mine's better, but we're not going to win by who has the best 15-point policy plan. But I do want my president to know that when we talk about gun violence, we're not just talking about the majority of murdered people in America are black men and boys. I'd like for them to know that. It's not just mass shootings, which are horrific. But I also want them to know we have an unconscionable number of people being shot by police officers. Mm -hmm. And that when you have the gun violence, lowering gun violence, that better be a big part of your plan. Yeah. And, and so that's the lived experience. Let me give you one thing that made me angry during this, during, anger is a productive emotion. I got angry because we've had these forums on environmental justice, really excited about that. Forum on uh, for LGBTQ forum, I'm really excited. Historic, yeah. and, and you have 15 of the candidates showing up, 12, 13. You can't show up at every forum. You, you, know, you have conflicts sometimes, but to see this major amounts of our candidates showing up, the one time we have the first forum in American history of formerly incarcerated people three folks showed up. And I said to them, I said, look, this is not about policy, who has the best policy, this is about who you can trust. That when they're in the room, your concerns, now we have millions and millions of Americans who are formerly incarcerated, having their lives destroyed because it's a life sentence. If you were convicted of doing things that two of the last three presidents admitted to doing, and remember, it wasn't just marijuana for, for two of our last three presidents. Hard drug. If you have this, a conviction like them, you have a life sentence. For You can't get loans from your bank. You can't get housing. You can't get jobs. Why don't we have, we, we must have someone that you can trust because the Democratic Party has done things to create the distraught re reality we have in. And so as a guy who spent the last two decades plus living on a block, in a, living in a community, black and brown community, at or below the poverty line, where I see my neighbors go to the, to the, the with a dignity stripping reality of working full-time jobs, catching extra shifts, and still needing food stamps. I, I live in a community where there's people shot. Bro Ross Baraka, God bless you brother, where 50% lows, historic 50-year lows and murders, but still people getting murdered. And, 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 and Shahad Smith, people I know, young people I watch grow up being murdered in my community with assault rifles. So I want the people, whoever our next president is, I want to be able to trust that somebody's not gonna have to come in and say, well, what is this constituency group gonna think about this? No, you're there to make sure the marginalized communities have power and are at the center and are around you as well, calling you out when you get it wrong. And, and this is the point, uh, last point I wanna make is this. We, we have a real problem in this nation right now when it comes to understanding that your power is derived 
in a democracy from the people. Mm. And, and what bothers me right now a lot is that you have people more and more becoming dis dis disaffected by it. Remember, we would have won the last election if just black people had turned out in 2016 at the same rates as 2012. In fact, you could just go to three states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and, and Wisconsin, three states we lost by 77,000 votes, the swingy to the Midwestern states, just 77,000 votes combined in the greater Milwaukee area, it, it, over 70,000 less blacks showed up. I get people will say to me, people in journalism, well, maybe people aren't supporting black candidates right now because it's a time of great racism. They want to just play it safe. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We need a the next person who's leading our party must energize the African-American community. And we're people that want to know we can trust you. And, and, and so to get Mitch McConnell to the back benches, there's no way to do that if you don't go through North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. There are four seats up in those three states. And when Obama was on the ballot and we had record black turnouts in North Carolina, we got that Senate seat. So if you, this election is about not who is going to get the biggest percentage of African American. Any Democrat is going to get over 90% of the black vote. The question is, is when I go to the barbershop and I have people confront me, why should I vote? These are folks that aren't representing my values when they get in there. I'm not on, I can give them a lot of reasons, so I always push back on that. But we want to have somebody that is our nominee that gets those record turnouts because you feel like, you know what? I know that person has the back of our communities. And to the extent on this sort of record turnout, the path to victory, which is victory is what helps us actually be in place to get anything done, um, right? You're, you haven't broken through in some ways in some of the polls. Yes. Um, there's also um, um, a, real a real potential that we're seeing where the debate stages moving forward are going to look all white. Yes. Um, there were so many stories at the beginning of this about how diverse the field was. Um, I, in Color of Change, we believe deeply in the rules, not just looking at the, um, the outcome, but looking at the rules that got us to the outcome. Yes. And so I'm interested in, in what, both in terms of sort of like what you have to say about what you uniquely offer and, and maybe some of the challenges in breaking through, but also what you um, have to say about the rules and the structures that we um, are at a point in this process where candidates of color are not on the stage, on the debate stage, in the numbers that we would see, that black candidates in particular in a party that um, um, black people are the cornerstone yes. and the centerpiece of the strategy um, are not there. What does it say about the rules and what does it and what does this say about what the Democratic Party has to think about in right. terms of how they've structured? Right. And so, first of all, let me not even talk about me. The fact that Julian Castro and Kamala Harris, two of the more extraordinary leaders in this country, I mean, Kamala inarguably was one of the most competitive races in this race. And she's out before voters even got a chance to vote. That is outrageous. And, and black women in my life, who are all supporting me, but still looked at that and felt some kind of way. They were like, oh, how could a woman who was elected from California, the most populous state, 44 million people, got tens of millions of votes twice, who has a record in the Senate that is incredible for the short time she's been there. She's one of the stars of the Senate. How could she not still be there? Why? Because when she got to, to, to the end of her campaign, just like John Kerry, they both had troubles in their campaigns. Kerry fired his campaign manager. Both pulled their campaigns out of other states into Iowa. So similar, John Kerry wrote himself a $5 million check. Mm. Kamala Harris couldn't do that. She's out of the race. So we've designed a rule. Let's call it the campaign industrial complex. 
that has said basically, if you have money, you can hack this system, we've designed it. Now for me, that, this is very problematic, watching Julian bring up issues on the debate stage that nobody else was bringing up. It is really problematic if you want to tell to the diverse voters that this has been a fair process. Now let's go to my circumstance. You literally have the New Hampshire Democratic Party writing a unanimous resolution that debate stage, the way you're doing it is wrong, it's denying us the real competitive races. Because in New Hampshire, I'm at the top one or two for endorsements from local elected officials and local leaders. And you're telling me, Cory Booker, in Iowa, we're number three now for net favorabilities. No, the third most popular race. We also lead in the top one, two or so in endorsements in that race. We have campaign headquarters opened up in, in, all over the state. Des Moines Register said from the jump, we, me and Elizabeth Warren are the best organizing teams. We've seen from our internals that we, that we will finish in a, in a position that upsets expectations. You have past presidential primaries. John Kerry and John Edwards were polling sixth and seventh in the national polls, 4% and 2%. One month before the caucuses, go in and win, finish one and two. Mm -hmm. And the DNC's designed rules that say basically, we're not letting Cory Booker's campaign on the stage, even though he's the most competitive in every indice, except for he doesn't have the money to put tens of millions of dollars into online ads to juice up his poll numbers to meet our hurdle. That is dead wrong. And the signal it sends, as it did with Kamala, as it did with Castro, is we are creating rules that don't don't create a fair playing field for diversity. We are the party that says openly we're against how large concentrations of wealth are influencing our, our, our government, but we're gonna run a campaign that says, if you have large concentrations of wealth, you can hack this system. Super PACs are out there. So if you have a super PAC running ads for you, you can get on the, on the debate stage. This should be run on the, on the things that local parties are saying, we see who's the competitive races. And now we can have, by midnight tonight we'll find out, one of the most competitive races in Iowa, campaigns in Iowa being denied from the field. It got so bad that even the local Iowa media, the, Des Moines, uh, the Iowa starting line, their biggest political platform said, said point blank, if you get polled in this stretch, even if you're undecided, say Cory Booker, because he should be on that stage. A bunch of uh, DC, DNC leaders should not be deciding for Iowa who we get to see on that debate stage. Uh, um, and, and that's what's got me and a lot of other people in the media, in the, on the ground, elected leaders, party leaders in these early states really upset. I mean, you called out the sort of role of how this benefits sort of dumping a lot of money into ads, into buying ads on corporate platforms, whether it be television or whether it be um, the internet. I mean, the role of corporate power across um, all of our lives, from the criminal justice system to the economy to um, our electoral politics, um, is really clear. Um, as president, sort of what, how do you envision the way in which you will deal with the fact that, you know, you've got to work with corporations in some ways. Um, people work there. They employ people. Um, but the rules in, that have been designed for corporations right now um, do not help racial, advance racial justice. And if we do not have a new vision for that, we don't get someplace. How do you actually do that? Because those in power have written the rules to benefit themselves. Right. And if... And we end up, in each, every election, we end up with conversations about this, but we seem to go backwards. Right, and so I, I could have raised a lot more money. I could be up on TV right now, but I don't want to do it that way. I took what's called the Citizens United, uh, Anti-Citizens United Pledge. I was 100 centers, I was the fifth one to do it, and just said, I'm not taking corporate PAC money. I'm not taking money from 
uh, uh, federal lobbyists. I'm not taking money from uh, pharmaceutical or oil company C-suite executives. I said, I'm not taking all that money. And so I'm running, my, my campaign is, is funded by people going to, principally by people going to CoreyBooker.com and, and making small dollar contributions. And so here we are now are in a system where I might have been able to raise millions of dollars more from those sources, but I think you can't fix a system. Uh, you can't campaign wrong and think you're gonna govern right. Mm. And, and so I wanna, when, I, when I'm president, I'm going to make it principle, because you, you, you guys talk about this, it's so important. It's not just about the policies you want to do, it's how do you change the system so it's more democratic and, and policies that reflect democratic will are the ones that rise, not corporate will. And unless we change our campaign finance rules, we will continue to get a corrupted result. And that's what the urgency is around this. So I want to get into that office saying, I won because of slow dollar contributions. Those are the people I'm loyal to. 90% of our contributions in the last quarter were from people giving $200 or less. Half of those folks, more than half, were first-time contributors to our campaign. We are, we are seeing momentum online from people saying, your voice is important in this race, stay in this race, we believe in your platform, and, 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 and want to support you. And so, as president, the only way we can make the kind of long-term change beyond you and me is to change the system as well. Republicans know that, because they're trying to change laws and legislation to erode the voting rights the very people that are a demographic threat to their future. You look at the southern states right now, the Nixon strategy, racist strategy, the southern, Nixon southern strategy is coming to an end because the demographics are changing. So the folks in many of these southern states from North Carolina to Texas are saying the only way we're going to stay in power is if we design legislation to make it harder for black and brown people to vote. The North Carolina law, federal judge said, you have designed this with surgical-like precision, that was their quote, to deny African-Americans voting. The only way they think they can win. So they're changing the system to make it more perverse. We've got to get in there when we have power and change the system so it's more democratic. And so my last question, and uh, I've been asking this of every candidate. And so, you know, part of this election season is candidates going to black communities, going to our communities and saying, um, vote for me and I'm going to fix these disparities, vote for me and I'm going to help you deal with these problems. And in some ways it puts black communities in a position where it's candidates doing for us, talking about the problems in black communities. But as you know, black people have contributed so much to our country, to our sense of service and progress and politics. And so I'm interested from you about who are the black folks in your life who have contributed to your vision of service and, um, and progress and why you're doing this and why you're in this fight. Well, I'm laughing because I'm, I'm the only person in this race that doesn't need to go to the black community. I open up my door <laughs> and I'm yeah, in yeah, the black community. Yeah, yeah. I've been, my, my entire professional career has been serving uh, a, a black and brown community from my work in East Palo Alto as a college student all the way to my running legal clinics in New Haven to when I got out of law school, the first place I went was the community I now live in. And, and these are lived experiences that are really important. And the, I always say I got my BA from Stanford, but my PhD on the streets of Newark by folks who schooled me, taught me. One of the greatest person in my, people in my life, we've named a street after her up the street from me, is Miss Virginia Jones, who first got me straight, because you have to have these young people with their Ivy League degrees showing up like a savior. And she's like, boy, you want to help me? Show me? Tell me what you see in your neighborhood. And the neighborhood I live in, we used to have a crack house, projects uh, 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 that, were, that were being destroyed by slumlords. I described the community, what I saw around me, and she's like, boy, you can't help me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you need to understand the world you see outside of you is a reflection of what you have inside of you. And if you come up to my community, all you see is problems, darkness, and despair, you can't help us. But if you're stubborn and every time you see, you see the worth, you see the beauty, you see the 
just, just the, the majesty of God, then you could be somebody that helps me. She is the reason I'm in politics. I ran against the machine in Newark. Talk about tough, gritty, difficult. People wonder, can you be a fighter with your philosophy of love? I tell people, look, I'm the only person in this race that has an Oscar-nominated documentary about them called Street Fight, about how we took on a political machine and won. But you know how I won? Not by coming in like I was a person with the best policy platforms on my website, because people felt me as an authentic connection to the community. And even when they didn't know, I won a city council seat in the central ward of Newark against a machine, a guy that was 40, many years older than me, I think 40 years older than me, because people from that community took me around when we were knocking on doors. When we were up in the high rises, knocking on the door, they look at me, they're not sure to open the door, but they see Miss Jones next to me, they open the door up. And she said, you know what? You can trust this boy. He'll be with us. He won't leave us. I live in my community, one, because Matthew 25 is there. I live in my community because we don't mistake wealth from worth. I live in my community because I want to stay rooted in the community. Give me always a knowledge of why I got into politics in the first place. But I also live in my community because Ms. Jones, when I got elected in my city council seat, she goes, now don't leave me because too many people get elected and forget where they came from. And I made her a commitment then to move into the high-rise projects. I, I've lived in now things owned by the Newark Housing Authority, public housing, literally for almost to eight years, almost a decade, and, and haven't left that community because of my loyalty. So I just want folks to know that I, I've learned so much. Newark is a city that I've made mistakes, broke me down, seen things, but it's also a community that rebuilt me time and time again, showed me grace, showed me love, showed me how we can make transformative change beyond my imagination. Right now in my neighborhood, we have supermarket and a food desert. Schools that outperform the suburbs now. People moving back in for our schools. We have black businesses. <laughs> uh, 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 there's a great Vonda's Kitchen, Agnab, people double, triple park to go in there. I helped her, as a mayor, get access to capital. All of these things we're seeing now because people like Ms. Jones had the vision then. Mm. And what's it say, without vision, the people will perish? I want to make sure whoever the next president has a vision for all people that's inclusive, that knows, that feels those folks. If I'm the president of the United States, and I hope people will support me, they can be sure that when I'm in the White House, if somebody comes from one of those communities that's been looked down on, overlooked, uh, 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 prejudged, I want to make sure that you know that I'm going to be the president that sees the whole America and knows that we can't succeed anywhere unless we are committed to succeeding as a country everywhere. I, I love that ending. Um, and so thank you for joining us. Voting While Black, we fundamentally believe that elections are not about getting politicians jobs, but about making people's lives better. And I really appreciate you sharing your stories, talking to us about the future, but more importantly, um, your willingness to look um, at the rules and deeply about how they affect people. Thanks for joining us and thank good luck you. out there. Thank you, thanks for having this. All right, thank, thank you. you. All right. All right. Thank you again to Senator Booker for taking the time to talk with us today. Voting While Black is a national voter mobilization project based in black joy and building black power. We will kick off hundreds of brunches and other events in 2020 to bring black folks and our allies together to get informed about the election. Sign up and be the first to hear about the Voting While Black tour at votingwhileblack.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this show possible including our own Whitney Bugs, Tanika Boyd, Valerie Brown, Jennifer Edwards, Kwesi Chapin, Devon Hamiku, Vanessa Ross, Drew Daniels, and Alexis Grishaber. Additional thanks to Ryan Sensor. This show was produced by Color of Change Pack in partnership with Black Robin Media. I'm Rashad Robinson. Thank you for listening.